Welcome, this is Philippe Albuquerque. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Neurointerventional Surgery, and I'm thrilled today to welcome Guillaume Turk, who will discuss his manuscript entitled The European Stroke Organization, European Society for Minimally Invasive Neurological Therapy, Expedited Recommendation on Indication for Intravenous Thrombolysis Before Mechanical Thrombectomy in Patients with Acute Ischemic Stroke and Anterior Circulation Large Vessel Occlusion. This expedited document is already online on the JNIS website and will be published in print in the JNIS March issue. At the outset, I'd like to read a word from our sponsors. No two vessels are alike. Your devices should allow for customizability. Rapid Medical pioneers tools that expand operative capabilities for greater control over patient outcomes and procedural success. Recently, Rapid Medical received FDA approval for an investigational device exemption study for acute ischemic stroke. The study will evaluate the safety and effectiveness of the Tiger Trever 13 revascularization device in restoring blood flow in the neurovasculature by removing thrombus in patients presenting within 24 hours of stroke onset. Tiger Trever 13 is the smallest thrombectomy device available today in European markets, provides real-time responsiveness and the lowest rate of distal emboli. Email info at rapidmedical.com or contact your local Rapid Medical representative to learn more about this new class of adjustable thrombectomy devices. Welcome, Guillaume. Thank you so much for agreeing to participate in this podcast and congratulations on this manuscript. Thank you very much for your nice words and for inviting me. Well, this is an incredibly uh, timely work uh, and important for all of us as as neurointerventionalists. So I, I wanted to get a little bit about the background on why now you felt this was the best time to come forward with these uh, recommendations and to discuss a little bit about the methodology. The methodology in your manuscript is uh, statistically a bit uh, complex, so I don't want to get too bogged down in it, but certainly it is important to mention at the outset and certainly to mention at the outset the two major recommendations that you make in this manuscript. Thank you. So we felt that the, the timing was right to uh, provide our expedited recommendation on this topic because we now have the results of the major randomized control trials of a direct mechanical thrombectomy compared with uh, bridging therapy, which is uh, the combination of intravenous thrombolysis and mechanical thrombectomy. As you are aware, uh, the results of four uh, major trials have been uh, published and uh, the results of the two remaining major trials have been presented at international stroke conferences. So we felt that it was the right time to provide an expedited recommendation on this very hot and very debated topic. If you could describe a little the major recommendations that were made, and, and obviously there were two um, major recommendations that were made as well as the expert consensus statement. So I'd, I'd like to start at the top by just reinforcing what the recommendations were made and what the consensus statements were. Yes, absolutely. So uh, we used the GRADE methodology um, in order to 
um, derive some evidence-based recommendations. And we decided uh, to assess two situations. The first one uh, is patients directly admitted to a thrombectomy-capable center, which is also called uh, the mothership paradigm. And the second one is patients admitted to a center uh, with the ability to deliver intravenous thrombolysis, but not mechanical thrombectomy. And this is known as the drip and ship paradigm. We really wanted uh, to separate these two um, different clinical scenarios because the evidence is obviously absolutely not the same. We have six solid randomized trials for mothership patients and only uh, in their indirect observational data for drip and ship patients. So the, the main recommendations are, um, the bottom line is that we recommend intravenous thrombolysis before mechanical thrombectomy if there is no contraindication for anterior circulation, large vessel occlusion, stroke patients seen within 4.5 hours um, of symptom onset. This applies uh, to mothership patients and here we felt that the quality of evidence was moderate after a thorough assessment based on the grade methodology. We provide a strong recommendation. Uh, and for the drip and ship situation, we provide uh, also strong recommendation, but uh, the quality of evidence was uh, deemed to be low. Importantly, uh, both treatment should be performed as early as possible after hospital arrival. Mechanical thrombectomy should not prevent the initiation of intravenous thrombolysis, but intravenous thrombolysis should not delay mechanical thrombectomy. And for drip and ship patients, uh, we recommend intravenous thrombolysis followed by rapid transfer to a center with thrombectomy facilities, and IVT should not delay the transfer uh, to such a comprehensive stroke center. Thank you. Um, one of the issues that I wanted to discuss was you mentioned in your assessment of the, the randomized control trials and use this for your analysis of current evidence. And you discussed as well the non-inferiority margin, which I think is critical for understanding the conclusions that you came to. Can you discuss and clarify a bit the non-inferiority margin in this manuscript and how you uh, achieved it and how you think it impacts the, the strength of the conclusions that you've drawn. You are right. This is a very important point. And uh, non, the definition of non-inferiority is really uh, the key of such a guideline. And we are aware that uh, other guideline groups might come to a different conclusion based on the same data. But we really believe that it, it is important to choose a stringent uh, non-inferiority margin. All of the non-inferiority margin used in the trials uh, were quite generous. Uh, in the direct MT and the Mr. Clean No IV trials, what was used was uh, the whole range of the uh, MRS uh, as primary endpoint and uh, with a relative non-inferiority margin. And in these trials, the lower boundary of the confidence interval of the common odds ratio for reduced disability had to be at least equal to 0.80 to claim non-inferiority. All members of our module working group believe that this margin is really uh, too liberal and that in, the, in this situation, 
some patients would actually have a clinically uh, meaningful worse outcome if treated with direct MT. It's also important to uh, keep in mind that this is not very straightforward to understand what a common odds ratio of 0.80 would really represent from a patient's perspective. Conversely, three trials use an absolute non-inferiority margin with MRS 0 to 2 um, as the primary endpoint. And we believe that uh, this is much easier for people and patients to understand what this exactly represents because as you are aware, MRS 0 to 2 represents functional independence. These three trials used an absolute non-inferiority margin of 10 to 12%, and a 10% margin was used in DVT and direct safe, and 12% in, in swift direct. And uh, before conducting a statistical analysis, we um, decided that we would assess non-inferiority based on this absolute difference in the proportions of MRS 0 to 2 between the two groups. And we chose our non-inferiority margin um, via secret ballot voting. And actually, a majority of Modi Working Group members voted for a margin of 1.3%, which corresponds to results of a previous survey of US stroke neurologists. In that survey, experts aim to determine the minimal clinically relevant increase in the proportion of MRS0 to 2 when considering uh, a novel neuroprotective agent as clinically worthwhile. And some people might believe that uh, this margin is too stringent, but it's very important also to consider um, the minimum and maximum values of the margin that were advocated by multi-working group members. Uh, so in our group, the extreme margins were 1% and the maximum margin was 5%. And non-inferiority was also not met based on this maximal acceptable margin of 5% proposed by some members of our module working group. And only accepting a margin of 5.9% would lead to the conclusion of non-inferiority. And the key question here is, is this really acceptable? because this would correspond to 59 fewer independent outcomes among 1,000 patients treated with direct MT, and the corresponding number needed to harm would be 17. I think it's also important to keep in mind um, the effect size in previous guideline-changing trials. For example, in the NINS-TPA trial, the absolute difference in MRA 0 to 2 was 12%. In Mr. Clean, it was approximately 13%. In Extend, uh, this difference was 6.7%. And in EKS3, it was 5%. And how comes that such differences were considered meaningful in those trials and are now considered negligible in the design of non-inferiority trials? And I think that the only plausible explanation lies in uh, sample size calculations. Because to demonstrate non-inferiority with a 2% or 1% uh, margin, you would need a very a large amount of patients. And therefore, I think it was more convenient for the planification and design of trials to use uh, a much more liberal margin, uh, such as 10 or 12%. Sure. 
If you could just uh, elaborate again, then, on the PICO-2 question that was mentioned uh, that you discussed in the manuscript and, and certainly was one of the endpoints of your research. Um, if you could discuss, then, how your group was able to derive your evidence-based recommendation without the benefit of the randomized control data that you discussed earlier, the six randomized trials that you based your initial recommendation on. Um, you mentioned in your uh, discussion as well several subgroup and meta-analyses that led your group to come to these uh, evidence-based recommendations. If you could elaborate a little bit on, on the PICO-2 question, what it is and how you guys came to this recommendation. Yeah, this is an important point. I think it's very important to keep in mind that the randomized trials only included patients admitted to a thrombectomy capable center. And even in that setting, which is definitely less favorable for intravenous thrombolysis and the drip and ship scenario. Non-inferiority of direct MT was not demonstrated, at least according to our pre-specified non-inferiority margin. And it was also not demonstrated based on a 5% um, non-inferiority margin. And therefore, it would be very difficult to recommend Withholding IVT uh, in drip and ship patients when even under the mothership scenario, non-inferiority has not been demonstrated. As you mentioned, there are no randomized trials to address the question of direct thrombectomy in drip and ship patients. And it seems to me that such trials are unlikely to be performed at the moment, given uh, the absence of support for this concept from the mothership trials. So we conducted a meta-analysis of um, observational studies. Those studies were um, identified in a systematic review. And we only considered observational studies allowing the comparison of direct MT with bridging therapy in drip and ship patients. So it's important to keep in mind uh, that there are many methodological pitfalls and, and flaws and biases in observational comparison of patients treated with direct MT and bridging therapy. But we feel that this is the only uh, direct evidence that we have. So we conducted a meta-analysis and actually the proportion of patients with functional independence uh, was lower in patients with direct MT with a um, pool odds ratio of 0.63 and this was significant. And there was a non-significant trend in the same direction for excellent functional outcome defined as MRS0 to 1, the odds ratio was 0.42. And uh, for the analysis of reduced disability over the whole range of the MRS, unfortunately, there was only one observational study, the SELECT study. And in this study, the adjusted common odds ratio was uh, in favor of bridging therapy, uh, for direct MT, the adjusted common odds ratio was 0.22, and this was significant. So we do not have definitive evidence that uh, IVT should be um, given before thrombectomy in drip and ship patients, but there are uh, these observational studies which provide uh, some uh, indication that this treatment uh, could be superior. And we also have important theoretical arguments in favor of IVT, especially in drip and ship patients. 
Um, because as you know, some patients uh, may recanalize uh, during the transfer. And actually, the proportion of patients who do have a successful reperfusion, uh, defined as uh, MTK2B or better, is not negligible. Uh, we have shown that this proportion ranges from 10 to 25%, um, according to the studies. And it's also important to consider that some patients will not achieve a successful reperfusion despite mechanical thrombectomy. And then having withheld IVT for this patient would have corresponded to um, some kind of a denial of reperfusion uh, therapy. And there are some observational data suggesting that patients who do not recanalize um, with MT have a better outcome if they received IBT uh, beforehand than if they did not. But all of this is uh, pretty indirect and um, there are certainly uh, some limitations in all other studies and points that I mentioned. Sure. Yeah, no, I think those are excellent points. And, and you mentioned tangentially in your manuscript as well, the timing of the intravenous thrombolysis and allude to the fact that patients that perhaps uh, had the intravenous thrombolysis um, administered and, and have had a little bit longer time, perhaps actually recanalize better than, than those who uh, are immediately taken for thrombectomy after, after intravenous thrombolytic administration. In your discussion, Guillaume, you mentioned as well some of the limitations uh, and discussed the applicability of your analysis. You specifically mentioned six points in your discussion, the mothership versus non-mothership issue certainly being one of the the major issues and, and how best do we kind of partition the data between these kinds of uh, institutions. But we also specifically discussed, or you also specifically discussed, the patient-specific therapies and how we may be moving towards uh, patient-specific therapies in the future. My concern about patient-specific therapies, and perhaps you can address this, is how do we accumulate objective data when we are treating these patients individually? How, what is the best way of, of looking at these numbers and, and then taking them and making treatment recommendations? I think this is an excellent point. Um, when, we, when we reach some decisions uh, in uh, our uh, clinical duties, we make some individualized decisions. Some of them are evidence-based, some of them are not directly evidence-based. I believe that it's not always possible to have just a cookbook recipe for uh, all patients based on guidelines. Uh, but on the other hand, it's extremely important to have a thorough analysis of uh, the uh, available evidence. So I hope that in the future, we will have some evidence-based recommendation for some specific settings, such as the site of arterial occlusion or uh, the time between, for example, door and, and needle and door and puncture. And I hope that the individual participant data meta-analysis of all major trials, which uh, is called IRIS, will disclose some subgroups in which uh, maybe direct MT is actually superior to IVT plus MT, 
And in this case, this would allow us to update this recommendation and provide uh, some more personalized um, situation and guidance. However, so far, uh, to the best of our knowledge, published subgroup analysis did not disclose any subgroup in which direct MT would be superior to IVT plus MT or even in which a direct MT would be uh, non-inferior according to the margin that, that we defined. So uh, in conclusion, I think it's very important to have a look at the quality of evidence and I hope that some subgroup analysis uh, based on individual participant data uh, will provide more insights uh, towards personalized medicine. I'm, I'm sure it will, and I look forward to actually seeing that that data. I, I just want to conclude, Guillaume, with um, just a few thoughts uh, from you on tenecteplase and, and other intravenous thrombolytic agents that we may be using uh, in the future. Uh, where, where do you see that research? Where, where do you see the, the needs for trials in terms of using other agents? So... I think that tenecteplase is uh, certainly a promising drug. And we reviewed the, the evidence for tenecteplase versus alteplase in the 2021 ESO guideline on intravenous thrombolysis. And actually, we suggest tenecteplase over alteplase in patients with large vessel occlusion. But this was a weak recommendation and the quality of evidence is not very high. This is mostly based on the results of the XTNIA uh, TNK trial, which suggested a superiority of tenecteplase over alteplase for patients who would undergo thrombectomy afterwards. And um, there was actually a benefit with regards to reduced disability over the whole range of the MRS. But it needs to be uh, kept in mind that this was a secondary endpoint and uh, that the trial was not directly designed uh, to assess superiority of the next place. So um, I do hope that we will have in the near future more randomized data uh, supporting the use uh, of the next place uh, over alteplase. And I think it, it would really be important to have some randomized data comparing uh, bridging with the next place uh, versus bridging with alteplase. However, so far, I'm not aware of uh, such a trial. Uh, some ongoing or planned trials will compare direct MT with uh, bridging with TNK, but uh, then we would have to rely on indirect and direct comparison, such as network meta-analysis, to compare uh, bridging with IVT uh, with the alteplase versus bridging with the nectiplase. So I really look forward to um, seeing the results of these trials in, in the future anyway. Yeah, should be exciting and important data for the use of MT and, and potentially uh, intravenous thrombolytics. So, Guillaume, thank you so much for uh, your participation today, for putting together this, uh, this very important document with your colleagues in the ESO and in ESMENT. The standards manuscript is already online on the JNIS uh, website. And the final manuscript will be published in the print journal 
of the March JNIS. Again, the title of the manuscript is the ESO Esment Expedited Recommendations on Indication for Intravenous Thrombolysis Before Mechanical Thrombectomy in Patients with Acute Ischemic Stroke and Anterior Circulation Large Vessel Occlusion. Thank you again, Guillaume. I enjoyed our discussion and best of luck to you for the rest of the year. Thank you very much. It was my real pleasure. Take care.